Well, give me a few minutes here today. I believe what we will talk about here will change your life. What you see on the screen is what's known as the personal name of God. When Moses said, what is thy name? He was told in the English versions, I am. The actual language, though, it was a Y-H-V-H pronounced as Yahweh or some say Yahweh. That is 7,000 times in the Old Testament. And so when Moses receives that, he is given that translation, what is thy name? I am, or the personal name, actually not I am, but the actual word there is Yahweh. Remember that. We'll come back to those four letters that make up that name here in just a moment. The Y-H-V-H in Hebrew, it's yod Hey vav Hey. Psalm 91 is a psalm to, to memorize, especially in a time like this. There's testimonies about Psalm 91. You know, you read back in World War II up to recent times, soldiers carry this psalm, talk about praying this psalm over their unit and their whole, you know, their whole platoon being safe when there's a battle. Psalm 91, it's a psalm that promises God's protection. Some believe it was written by Moses, some say David, but we'll talk about this psalm here because it's especially pertinent for today, as you will see, something to to read daily and pray daily and to claim daily. Let's look at Psalm 91, verse 1, which reads, He that dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. The key to the whole psalm is found here in verse 1 that we dwell, and that word dwell means to sit, to inhabit, or to stay for a while with God in his presence here today on uh, the worship time, but also in our private time, reading scripture, spending time in prayer, you know, reflecting on the promises. You have to dwell in his presence to receive the rest of Psalm 91. The dwelling is in the shadow of the Almighty. That's a picture you find throughout scripture. Think of a mother hen who lifts her wings and the chicks, they can run to the shadow of that wing. The psalmist says, I dwell in the shadow of the Almighty. And that promise there, again, if you think about the hen, they raise their wings up, but the chicks, they have to run to that protection. So there's a point here for us. We have to step in and dwell in his presence and step into that shadow. If we do that, the rest of Psalm 91 is a promise for you and for I. You know, we have chicks at our house, and what's amazing for the mother hen you know, you have hundreds, probably thousands of birds that fly over every day. You know, sparrows and crows, even vultures. And the mother hen ignores each one. But a, a hawk flies by just for a split second, and that mother hen will freeze even mid-step. They have a strong sense of self-preservation. And that's the picture here in Psalm 91, that there is this preservation protection here in the shadow of God's wing. You know, Francis Quarles 500 years ago said, though, we have a part in this. He said, God promised pardon on our repentance, but he has not promised life till we repent. There's a process that we need to cooperate and step into that shadow, dwell in the presence. And the rest of Psalm 91, then, we can say that applies to me. Let me give an example, though, of Psalm 91. This is from Corey Ten Boom. I'll read from a book here by Peggy Joyce Ruth, who shares what happened with Psalm 91 in World War II. Corrie ten Boom tells the story about a young Englishman held prisoner in a German prison camp for a long period of time during World War II. One day he read Psalm 91 and fell on his knees in prayer and said, God, I see all these men dying around me. Will I die here? I'm still young and I want to work in your kingdom. And God spoke to his heart, rely on what you have just read, go home. 
Trusting God, the young man got up, walked into the corridor toward the gate. A guard said, prisoner, where are you going? He replied, I am under the protection of the Most High. The guard, the guard came to attention and let him pass because Adolf Hitler was also known as the Most High. The man came to a gate. There were a group of guards. They commanded him to stop and ask, where are you going? He replied, I am under the protection of the Most High. The guard stood at attention as the prisoner walked out the gate. This English officer made his way through the German countryside and eventually reached England where he told how he had made his escape. You see, that's the promise there that's in Psalm 91. Our protection, beginning though, do we dwell in his presence first? If so, we'll see the rest of the psalm is there for us. And as Jason Grubb said, that is the source of our joy. It's not our circumstance. It's not our health. It's not our wealth. It's the fact that our names are written in heaven. It's the most exhilarating thought that we can possibly have. So, Psalm 91, 2 then reads this way. I will say to the Lord, I trust. There's some other things that the psalmist will speak. But again, this is the second part here. When people say, you know, how do you mix faith with life? Well, here's two things that you find. First, you dwell in God's presence. And number two, you say what God says. And the psalmist here says, I will say, I trust you. And as Peggy Joyce shares, you know, try this at home by yourself and say out loud, I trust, and then fill in anything else. Say, I trust in my bank account, or I trust in my attorney, and feel how that feels, and then stop and say, I trust you, Jesus. I trust in you, Lord. You see, the psalmist, he speaks it out, he claims it, and he then takes the rest of that psalm as he writes here and says, now this is my promise. We all know Hebrews 4, 2, that says, you know, speaking of the children of Israel in the desert, the word did not profit them because it was not mixed with faith. And again, well, how do you mix the word, the promise with faith? Well, two things again, the psalmist said, dwell in God's presence in worship and prayer, scripture time, and then speak forth those promises. You know, we can dwell and we can speak. But a lot of people get caught up in something else. As Angela Shum says, maybe we have to stop and say, do I deliberately speak my faith even when I'm afraid? You see, that's what faith is. That's what faith is when circumstances look the way we didn't think they would, but we still say, I dwell in his presence. I shall not be moved. So let's look at something for our time here in our culture. 2 Timothy 3.9 says, Of evil men, they will not get very far. We're going to see what Paul means by that here in just a moment. We all see things in our culture where, again, people call good evil, evil good. And Paul says they will not get very far, even though they may appear to be getting far at different times, maybe even today or down through history. But let me read something. This was shared by Pastor Joe Wright. A prayer he shared at the Kansas House of Representatives. Here was his prayer. It's been widely shared. Heavenly Father, we come to you today and ask your forgiveness. We know your word says, woe to those who call evil good, but that's exactly what we have done. We have lost our spiritual equilibrium and we have reversed our values. We confess that we have ridiculed absolute truth and called it pluralism. We have worshipped other gods and called it multicultural. We have endorsed perversion and called it alternative lifestyle. We have rewarded laziness, called it welfare. 
We have killed the unborn, called it choice. We have neglected to discipline our children and called it building self-esteem. We have abused power and called it politics. We have polluted the air with filth in movies and called it freedom of expression. We have ridiculed the time-honored values of our forefathers and call it enlightenment. Search us, O God, know our hearts, cleanse us from our sins, set us free. God, bless these men and women who have been sent to direct us to the center of your will. I ask in the name of your Son, the living Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Here's the thing. Pastor Joe Wright's prayer, again widely shared, that was given in January of 1996. So let me read the translation here of Paul's words from the message written by Eugene Peterson. And he pulls no punches as he writes very accurately here in a sort of poetic take on Paul's words. But 2 Timothy chapter 3, the message reads this. Don't be naive. There are difficult times ahead. As the end approaches, people are going to be self-absorbed, money-hungry, self-promoting, stuck-up, profane, contemptuous of parents, crude, coarse, dog-eat-dog-unbending, slanderous, impulsively wild, savage, cynical, treacherous, ruthless, bloated windbags, addicted to lust, and allergic to God. They'll make a show of religion, but behind the scenes, they're animals. Stay clear of these people. Again, Eugene Peterson pulls no punches, neither does the Apostle Paul. And again, but he says that type of person, they will not get very far. We'll see why here in just a moment. But let's look at something happened here in our culture this past few days. I thought it was an urban legend when I first heard it because the story is so absurd. But unfortunately, sadly, it's not an urban legend. It is absolutely true. You might have seen that Hasbro is now taking dolls off the shelf. They had made dolls from the Troll movie. And you can look this up for yourself. But essentially what they did is they made this troll doll. And on the box, it says, well, if you push the, the button on its tummy, the troll will laugh. Well, the button's not on the tummy. It's actually in a very inappropriate place. And the troll doesn't laugh. It makes perverse sounds. Now, let's stop and think about this for a moment. These are toys for three, four, five-year-old kids. This toy went through production lines. This went through marketing. This went through design. This went through management and upper management. This went through sales. How many countless people were involved in this? So many steps. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. And Paul says, trust me though, they will not get very far. In a moment, we'll see why. Here's something Rick Burdett shared in 1988. Theologian Carl Henry made a stunning prediction in his book, Twilight of a Great Civilization. He said, as America loses its Christian heritage, paganism would grow bolder. And what we saw in the last half of the 20th century was a benign humanism. He predicted, though, the 21st century would be not unlike the first century, where the faith of the Christians confronted raw paganism. Humanism with the face that is so pretty ripped off, revealing the angry monster underneath. And his words have come true and are becoming truer with each passing day. Shared a quote before different people have claimed it, but the quote is, we live in a time where Satan doesn't even hide anymore and you still don't see him. 
This is why for believers, it's time to let our light so shine so that people can find their way out of the darkness. And that list of people that were shared by Paul, again, he says they will not get very far. And then he shares this example, 2 Timothy 3.8, when he says, As John's and Jambres opposed Moses, also these teachers opposed truth. They are men of depraved minds who, as far as faith is concerned, are rejected. Paul said, just like John's and Jambres, these are the two magicians in Pharaoh's court. You remember when Aaron turned the staff into a snake and then the magicians did the same. Their names were John's and Jambres. And they opposed Moses and they seemed to have some success, but they didn't get very far. And that's the fate of all who stand opposed to truth and righteousness. They might appear to have some success, but it won't be like it may appear. In fact, if you go back to Exodus 8, we read what happened to these two men. We're told this, the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out thy rod, smite the dust of the land that it may become lice. And they did so. And Aaron stretched out his hand with his rod and smote the dust of the earth. And it became lice and man and beast and all the dust of the land became lice throughout the entire land of Egypt. And the magicians did the same with their enchantments to bring forth lice. And here's the key, but they could not. And there was lice upon man and upon beast. The magicians then said unto Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. You see, that's the promise of Psalm 91 for you and me. In fact, you'll notice if you read Psalm 91, we'll look at two more verses. But verse 3 says, it is God who delivers you from the snare of the trapper. Well, the trapper's snare is set purposefully. The Satan knows our weaknesses, and he sets landmines in our path to try to trap us. But we're told that God delivers us from that snare. But notice what he says next. And he delivers you from the deadly pestilence. What is pestilence? It means various things. Here's a 2003 Baker edition dictionary. Pestilence means a dreaded disease, an epidemic, or a pandemic. An occurrence of sickness that has caused a lot of deaths. Psalm 91 is yours and mine to claim. The prerequisite is that we dwell in the presence and say the promises out loud, claiming them for ourselves. And evil men will not get far. And all the promises are yes and amen in Christ to us. Why? Let's go back to that personal name of God spelled Y-H-V-H in English. In Hebrew, it's yad Hey vav Hey. Again, the sound would be then the name is Yahweh or Yahweh. If you look at it in ancient Hebrew, you notice the, the letters that we would say are the H, the Hey. It looks like a man holding up his hands. What are those two H's or hey, it looks like a man mean. Well, they mean behold. Each letter in the name of God means a certain word. And the hey, two times that letter is there, means behold. So it's behold one thing and then behold a second thing. What is the next letter there? The yod. What does the yod mean? Again, it's yod hey vav hey. The hey means behold, behold. What does the yod mean? The yod means hand. 
the first letter in the name of God, the Y, it means hand. So now we can see that it says, behold the hand. Behold what? You see, this is where those promises become ours if we dwell in the presence. If we say out loud that that is he in whom I have believed in. And I know that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Now stop and think for a moment. When Moses receives the personal name of God, he's there before the burning bush. And he knows he's being sent to Pharaoh, to Egypt, what represents a fallen world. And he says, whom shall I say has sent me? And from the bush, through the fire, he's told, tell them I am sent you or the personal name Yahweh sent you. And that name is spelled Y-H-V-H or yad Hey vav Hey. Behold the hand. What does it mean to behold? Well, for Moses, he faces a choice. That choice is the same one that you and I face. And he's there and he has this moment and he's told, you want to know who I am, Moses? Behold the hand. Which brings us to that fourth letter there, the Vav. Again, the hey in ancient Hebrew looks like a man with his hands up. What does the Vav look like dropped there in between those two symbols in that personal name of God? What does it look like? It looks like exactly what it means. The Vav means nail. So Yahweh or Yahweh means behold the hand, behold the nail. And there Moses was before the burning bush and he was given the chance just like you and I to behold that man, the one with the nail pierced hands. To gaze upon he who is the life. You see, because when faith becomes hearing and then it becomes what we speak and what we believe and what we know, then we can proclaim with Paul, listen, we all see the chaos, we all see the unrest, we all see sin in the world, but we know this, evil people, they will not get very far. Because we have the promise that the light has come into the darkness, the darkness cannot overcome it. And so Psalm 91, the promises from verse 1 all the way to the end are ours. As long as we dwell in his presence, speak forth the promise and say, I believe in the one whose name is Behold the hand, behold the nail, 
Because in thousands upon thousands of ways, God has promised, if you seek me, you will find me. Because then he will seek us and find us in return. And in thousands upon thousands of ways, he's shown the promise of he who is the life that is truly life. That we might trust in Jesus. The one who is the way, the truth, and the life.